Yes, here we go. It is the Chief Zone Podcast. I am Farzi Masui and your host of the Chief Zone Podcast. Thank you guys for downloading and listening to another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Subscribe to iTunes, Google Play, several other podcasting outlets. Nonetheless, wherever you're downloading the podcast, whenever you're listening, greatly appreciate it. You're making the Chief Zone Podcast part of your day. And got a lot of things to talk about in this podcast. Got a good show lined up for you. Uh, definitely going to talk about some Chiefs breaking news that broke on Thursday. We'll get into that shortly in just a moment. And in this episode, I'm going to preview the AFC West. I think there are a lot of things to talk about with the AFC West. Sure, you look at last year's AFC West, the breakdown, you had a Super Bowl team, a reigning Super Bowl winning team that did not make it into the playoffs. And you had two teams that finished with the same record atop the division in the Chiefs and the Raiders. And look, I think as Chiefs fans, as all sports fans, I think people in general too, we owe it to ourselves to be honest, don't we? I mean, why is it that the Chiefs won the AFC West last year? Sure, they swept the division, that's one thing. But that injury to Derek Carr played a big role in the Chiefs winning the division last year late in the season. So had it not been for Derek Carr's injury, the Chiefs probably would have made it as a wildcard team going 6-0 in the division. So, that's kind of an interesting angle. What should Chiefs fans be concerned about going into 2017 when you look at the competition that the Chiefs have in this division? The Raiders are certainly a little bit better. The Broncos, they have the talent to be very competitive and make it to the playoffs, but under a new head coach, uh, I think there are some question marks. And when you look at San Diego with the recent news with Mike Williams what what does the future hold for him and the Chargers as they're trying to rebuild so a lot to talk about when we look at the AFC West landscape going into 2017 so we'll break that down as well plus a lot of breaking news taking place around the NFL this week as the deadline to sign players under the franchise tag has passed and two players will be playing under the franchise tag rather than signing new deals including one player who passed on the second most guaranteed money in NFL history. Plus, the Chiefs started a trend in the NFL. Another general manager has been fired during the summer. It's it's crazy to see happen in the summer. You never see these kinds of things happen in the summer. The Chiefs look like they started some sort of trend because another team has fired an NFL general manager. Plus... Everyone's raving about McGregor and Mayweather. I'm going to tell you why I honestly think that the media tour McGregor and Mayweather had was absolutely stupid. I'll get into all of that later on in the podcast. But first, the Kansas City Chiefs have signed rookie quarterback Patrick Mahomes to a four-year deal. So yes, this means all 90 players... All 90 players on the Chiefs have been signed and ready to go to training camp. So you're not going to have any of the contract drama, any any contract issues going into training camp this year. All of the players expected to be there. Therese Paler tweeted Thursday afternoon that the Mahomes deal is worth $16.4 million with a $10 million signing bonus. So there you have it. That's his contract. For the next four years. Look, I said this before. I'm not going to get too much into it. Uh, you know, look, you've got Alex Smith who's making $16.9 million. You've got Mahomes. And who knows exactly how much he's making each year. 
you know, these are not equally divided each year. Eventually, that that number, the salary cap uh, for the player, the salary number, I should say, it grows each year for that individual player generally. Uh, so how much money he'll make the first year certainly won't be the same the second and third year. It'll, it'll grow uh, throughout the uh, four years, the, the four-year period in which he signed for. So look, I mean, there's going to be a backup on your bench that's going to be making millions of dollars. It's either going to be Alex Smith or Pat Mahomes. And I'm really not a fan of doing things that way. But look, I mean, that's why I'm not a general manager. But then again, the general manager who did draft Mahomes, he knew that this was going to be the case. And John Dorsey doing so. Now, we do want to say this because NFL.com released their division previews which of course we're going to talk about shortly and when I was looking through the AFC West they talked about how the biggest position battle for the Chiefs is the backup quarterback position between Pat Mahomes and Tyler Bright now look I mentioned this on the Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash Farzee Vasugi. You can get my Facebook page a like. Forgot to mention that. Also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And you guys can also uh, email me, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. I posted the link on Facebook. And someone had mentioned that Tyler Bray would be a better suited backup in 2017 than Pat Mahomes. And I'm saying based on what? And the argument was... That Pat Mahomes knows the playbook. He knows the offense. He's been under Andy Reid's system for a couple of years now. Here's my response to it. Because people think that knowing a playbook and being under someone's offense for a while can can play some sort of a key factor. And I understand this. I'm going to make a comparison. Different one, mind you, but I get it. The quarterback position is much different because, I mean, you have to have command of that offense. But, come on. In no way do I think that Tyler Bray, an undrafted quarterback who has yet to play a down in the regular season, is going to start ahead of Patrick Mahomes, a guy who was drafted in the first round, is making millions of dollars, and the Chiefs traded up 13 spots to get this guy. Sorry, but I don't think a guy who you traded up 13 spots in the first round to be on your team is going to be the third-string quarterback. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. If Alex Smith goes down with an injury in, let's say, week 15, and the Chiefs absolutely have to win the last two games in order to make it to the playoffs... I know the pressure's on, but look, I mean, it, it, no one said that life is fair. These situations come up. I mean, look at the Oakland Raiders when Derek Carr went down with, a, with an injury. I mean, sure, there was some pressure on, on the backups for the Raiders that filled in, both of them, the, to try to keep the team alive, try to keep the wheels moving for the season, especially with all that they accomplished throughout the year, going 12-4. and four. So look, I I get it. Tyler Bray, yeah, sure, he's been around a little longer. But just because you've been around longer doesn't mean that you're going to do better. Let's be honest. If we're going into week 16 without Alex Smith and the Chiefs have to win the final two games in order to stay alive in the playoff race, I want Pat Mahomes leading the team. 
Look, I mean, I, I've accepted this a long time ago. I'm just not happy about it. I, I, I mentioned my thoughts on this. Like I promised earlier, I'm not going to re-banter, I guess, with that or re-rant on the issue. I know a couple of people have said this, but listen, I mean, you've got to at least throw him in there at some point to let him experience it. I, I, I just think you've got to give the guy uh, opportunities to blossom because... If you start him in 2018, look, you can't have high expectations if he didn't even get a chance to play in 2017. So I think at the end of the day, by all means, with all due respect to people in the media and guys who do these kinds of write-ups, Pat Mahomes and Tyler Bray is not the hottest position. First of all, name me a... Name me someone who truly believes that the backup quarterback spot is the most exciting position battle in sports. Because quite honestly, it makes me want to go to sleep. I Not many people care about a backup QB battle in, in sports. And now look, if I'm going to criticize someone for their take, I have to be able to provide what I think is a better answer. You know, I, I think I've got a couple. Offensively, I, gosh, definitely the wide receivers. You let go of Jeremy Macklin. Tyreek Hill, physically speaking, isn't necessarily built like a starting wide receiver, but he certainly can play like one. Chris Conley, I think the, the Chiefs are being a little patient with him. This is a guy who was taken in the third round. A lot of people surprised he fell that, that far in the draft, but was a combine warrior. And look, just because you were dominant in the combine doesn't mean you're going to do well on the field. And then there there are guys on the team like Demarcus Robinson, Albert Wilson, DeAnthony Thomas. Which, by the way, these are guys who have been on the Chiefs a couple of years longer uh, than Tyreek Hill. And going back to the Pat Mahomes and Tyler Bray comparison, the the comment that was made on the Facebook page. I mean, Tyreek Hill has been around less than those guys, but that doesn't mean... That just because he, the others knew the offense before him, that they would be better. So, look, look, skill plays a big part in in all of this. Yeah, sure, don't get me wrong. Knowing the playbook and having the understanding of what the coaches expect from you, being under their guidance for a long time, that's part of it. But I'd say that's just 10% of it. 90% of it is just going out there and just showing that you can play the skills. So Tyree Kill certainly has the skills. Yes, he's... Only been here for one season, but the guy plays like a number one receiver. He's kind of like Antonio Brown, uh, a guy who could go out there, dominate on offense, and also dominate on special teams. Now, look, he's only been in the league for a year, and even then, his dominance was just for the second half of the season. So, if we do have these high standards, we want to see Tyreek Hill be able to do this Throughout a longer period of time. Now I think the concern is. If he's going to be a starting receiver. And also the special teams return man. That's a lot for a guy to carry. Especially a little guy who. Listen on those punt returns. Even if you make a fair catch call. Those defensive players on special teams. They just have the itch to go out there and light you up. Even before you have a chance. Or fair chance to catch the football. So. You, especially with a guy of of Tyree Kill's size who's so small, injuries can be a concern. So, I, I think if you do want Tyree Kill to be your starter, but 
at the same time, you, you certainly don't want him to shy away from his special teams duties. He certainly proved that he he's the best return man in the NFL right now. So you don't want to let that opportunity go to waste either. Look at how much his duties on special teams helped the Chiefs in 2016. And in response to that, again, there are, again, other position battles on the team way hotter than the backup QB spot on the team. I think the defensive line position battles, there are a couple there. You've got Alan Bailey coming back. Uh, maybe he and Chris Jones could go head-to-head on a, for a battle to Nup Hassanio and Rakeem Nunes-Rochas. Nunes-Rochas showed some flashes last year, and there's a lot of hype for Passanio coming in because of his size and abilities uh, coming out of college. So I, I, I think there's a battle there that, that you could watch out for. How about this one? I, I, I certainly think that this can't be forgotten. Tom Bahali and D Ford. D Ford looked very good the first half of the season. If he can show that he can do what he did in the first half throughout a consistent basis in a 16-game span, then look, I I think we could see D. Ford maybe start ahead of Tom Bahali going into Week 1 in New England to open up the NFL season. Plus, the other cornerback position, Philip Gaines, Steven Nelson, who, who did a tremendous job as a slot corner last year, I think that's also a position battle there to look at. And I, Terrence Mitchell's name should also be included in the mix. A guy who came on late in the season and certainly helped the Chiefs uh, to be able to make that push to win the division title and get that bye week in the postseason. So I certainly think there are other position battles on the team better than the backup QB spot. I, at the end of the day, Pat Mahomes is not going to be your number three starting quarterback. I shouldn't even say starting quarterback. Your number three quarterback. You did not trade up 13 spots to let this guy sit behind a, an undrafted guy from 2013 that hasn't even played a snap in a regular season game. Certainly not. All right, I want to go around the AFC West because I think this is a very interesting division. I think this might be the most competitive division in the NFL right now. You had two teams that made it into the playoffs from the t- division and the Raiders and the charge or uh, the Raiders and the chiefs. And when you look at the, the Raiders and what they were able to do, they certainly made the most improvement. I said this after the 2015 draft, I told people, I said the charger, the Raiders are going to compete for the division in 2016. And a lot of people laughed at me for that in 2015. When there weren't a lot of good AFC teams, and which allowed the Chiefs to make that playoff push with that surge of winning ten straight, making it eleven, going including that postseason win in Houston, Oakland at one point was a front runner to be a wild card team. So the Oakland Raiders have really come a long way. And, and look, I still disagree with the Derek Carr signing. I think that's way too much money for a guy who's never played a postseason game. But, I mean, not, again, not going to dwell on it too much. The point of the matter is, this is a Raiders team that's got a lot to give their fans to look forward to. I mean, this is a Raiders team that's a top-notch offense and a top-notch defense. I guess I wouldn't say top-notch defense, but they do have top-notch players on that defense that look, it may be not the greatest way to try to win games, but at the end of the day, 
that Raiders defense will do enough to help you win games. And look, it ended up translating into 12 wins for the Raiders in 2016. I do want to start with the LA Chargers. Look, you're moving into a new city. You've got a new head coach in Anthony Lynn. There's a lot to look forward to with this Chargers team because there is an interesting rebuilding process here. You you added Russell Okung, who was previously with the Denver Broncos in the AFC West. And when you look at the wide receivers on this team, Keenan Allen, I mean, this is a guy who lit up the Chiefs last year in week one. When Keenan Allen went down with that torn ACL against the Chiefs, the Chargers did not convert for another third down the rest of that game, which was a big factor in the Chiefs making their first of many comebacks last year. So they drafted Mike Williams. You're getting Keenan Allen back. You've got Travis Benjamin who played with the Cleveland Browns. And look, it is Cleveland. So, I mean, can you really judge a wide receiver on his success based off the myriad of quarterbacks that Cleveland went through in what feels like most teams would go through in a 10-year span? Now, there is some bad news with Mike Williams who was taken 7th overall in this year's NFL Draft. There's been talks of him possibly getting surgery, which would be season-ending surgery, possibly pushing him out of even playing in his rookie campaign. It's a herniated disc, according to reports, and there are some positive reports coming out saying that he may not need surgery and that he would be able to play in 2017. But look, you, you, you can never fully rely on those unless it's a doctor or a team official that comes out and says this because at the end of the day, what do they know? Unless that source is a doctor, uh, and a lot of times you don't generally get what that source is. So given what we are told, supposedly he's going to play in 2017. Now, does that mean he's going to be able to play to the best of his abilities with this back injury that he's dealing with? I think that's a valid question that remains up in the air. So this is... This is going to be interesting because I think with the LA Chargers, they certainly have the ability to improve offensively in the passing game. Phillip Rivers, we know what he's capable of. Last year certainly was not a good year for him. Threw a lot more interceptions than usual. But when you look at what he has to work with coming back, and again, assuming that everyone's healthy and ready to go, Keenan Allen coming back, Mike Williams, hopefully he's healthy, and hopefully for the case of the Chargers, and you never want anyone to get injured. I'm dealing with a knee injury right now. It's the same one where I tore my ACL a few years ago. And uh, gosh, I mean, I'm still recovering from it. Uh, it's it's a tough thing. But uh, Travis Benjamin, another guy who Philip Rivers can work with in the passing game. There are a lot of guys that, that Philip Rivers has to work with. The question is, are these guys going to be able to come through and help him get the job done? Because... That's the big question. I think offensively, you're going to be able to do that. This is an offense that can definitely light it up. What if Keenan Allen didn't get injured? I mean, could that Keenan Allen injury really have been the negative tone that was set for the rest of the season? Because the way, how it looked like, I mean, San Diego was on its way to just dominating the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium now. I don't know, I can't recall exactly how many fans were left at Arrowhead when the Chiefs won in overtime, but 
gosh, I just remember watching this game and I, I posted it on, on the Facebook page. I remember this. And everyone was just irate about this. The defense looked like it was one of those Gunther Cunningham coached defense that could not tackle. The offense was not getting anything done. And you just kind of got concerned for a moment. Is this is this going to be the 2016 Chiefs team? So the Chargers definitely had the Chiefs pinned up back against the wall. And the, the way that the Chiefs were able to kick, come back in that game, that certainly set the tone for the Chiefs because that was one of many comebacks they had. So for LA, I think the the question is, how do they do? New city, new new venue, new head coach. You're trying to establish a new identity offensively. There are a lot of things that I, I think is exciting for Chargers fans to look forward to, but at the same time, it's also nerve-wracking. We saw the Chiefs try to rebuild under Herm Edwards and Todd Haley, and those 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 weren't those weren't pretty. They they didn't pan out well. You want to be be able to see these rebuilding plans work out. It's a very tough thing to do in the NFL when you don't have the big name players in in, in place. When you don't have those pieces, you're hoping on these young guys to develop quickly and try to excel. I mean, the Chargers really did run the the table in, in the AFC West for a couple of years. It was from, I want to say 2006 all the way through 2009 or 2010. And it was week 16 of the 2010 season where the Chargers fell to the Bengals and the Chiefs won the AFC West. The first team not named the Chargers to win the AFC West for the first time in a while. So this was a team that really was dominant. And even in the season when the Patriots were on their quest to go 19-0 in that AFC title game, Brady had his worst game in that AFC title game, throwing three picks to the Chargers. I know that's very irrelevant because that was 10 seasons ago. But my point being here is it's crazy to see how the Chargers really did run the division for a couple of years and to see them just fall flat like this, uh, it really shows you how much things can change even within a couple of years. I mean, it's not like the Chargers just suddenly were bad last year. They've been bad for a couple of years now. And when you make the change, Mike McCoy, the former offensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos, who became the head coach for the Chargers and was fired this past offseason, there's a lot that, you know, I think there's some patience needed I think if you get six wins for the Chargers, I think that's considered a success for Anthony. Anything more than that, I think that's certainly a plus, and it shows that the Chargers are moving in the right direction. To win, and look, new head coaches have a very short leash today in the NFL. Uh, There are not a lot of head coaches that are able to keep their jobs because I, I think today, in this day and age, there's a lot of impatience. And I think part of it has to do with how how much marketing has changed. I, I think social media plays a hand in that. So you've got to go out there and, and, and at least w- pick up six wins in your first year if, if you're Anthony Lynn. Anything more than that, I certainly think is a plus. And, and, and again, I think you're moving in the right direction with the Chargers. I didn't talk too much about the defense, but of course, you've got to mention Joey Joey Bosa. And you've got a good supporting cast here on, on this defense. Corey Legay, uh, Jason Verrett, one of the more underrated quarterbacks. And again, another first-round draft pick that 
the Chargers had in 2014. The Chargers have managed to keep their first-round picks. Their 2012 first-round pick, Melvin Ingram, still on the team. From 2011, I mentioned the gay. Joey Bosa last year. So you've got a lot of guys who you've taken in the first round in, in the draft since 2011 and still on this team. This is how you build a football team. Despite the head coaching changes over the years, this is still impressive to do. And... We all know that head coaches want to bring in their own, new head coaches want to bring in their own guys. So that's certainly one of the things to keep an eye on. Do do the Chargers still keep the guys who they've had uh, in the first round for the, the past five, six years? And one other thing I do want to add, if there's anything that I've noticed with the AFC West, I think the AFC West might be the best when it comes to pass rushers. I mean, think about it. You have Joey Bosa, who had a phenomenal rookie season defensively. Von Miller, this guy, won Defensive Player of the Year two years ago, a Super Bowl MVP, was one vote shy of beating Khalil Mack, also in the AFC West, for Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, by the way, let's not forget about Justin Houston, who came very close to breaking Michael Strahan's single sack season or single sa- single season sack record, excuse me, a couple of years ago. Now, dealing with that knee injury, coming back midway through the season, I mean, he didn't look like he lost a step. It took him a while to get back in. That Buccaneers game was his first game back, but against the Broncos, against Trevor Simeon, I mean, he terrorized Simeon in that first half, and Justin Houston's a guy who could arguably be the best defensive player in the NFL when he's healthy. So I think that's one thing that... Chiefs fans have uh, to look forward to, but gosh, this this AFC West truly does have the best group of pass rushers. And, and look, I mean, who are you going to rate one through four? Yeah, sure, you, maybe you could put Von Miller and Khalil Mack one and two because those two guys had the most votes for Defensive Player of the Year, but it's not like... Joey Bosa is that far behind. Yeah, sure, he was a rookie last year, but there's no doubt that he's just going to continue to get better. Justin Houston, again, it should not be forgotten that he had 22 sacks a couple of years ago. And if he can stay healthy, this is a guy who's going to be a threat to offensive tackles and even quarterbacks. And speaking of offensive tackles, uh, guys like Russell Okung, Eric Fisher... Donald Stevenson, a former Chief who's going to look like remain as a starter for the Broncos. Several other guys on this list. Uh, Joe Barksdale. You've got a lot of offensive tackles that better bring their A game because they're going to be facing some of the best pass rushers, some of the best outside linebackers and defensive ends that I think the AFC West has to offer. I really do. I think if we're going to name the top five pass rushers, It'd be hard to leave out three, maybe four of those guys on that top five list. Uh, I I think if we had a top ten list, certainly one player from each of these four teams make that list. So I think that's one thing that all of the four teams have in common is just that dominance on defense. And I think pass rushing, I know we always talk about the offense and the quarterbacks and the passing touchdowns, but... Gosh, pass rushing can really change a football game. We've seen it with Jared Allen here in Kansas City. Tom Bahali's done it. Justin Houston's done it. D. Ford's done it. Uh, this is this is a a category, an area, really, where 
it can really change the dynamic of a football game. Let's not forget in 2013, Justin Houston, when the Chiefs had their 9-0 start, Justin Houston and Tom Bahali led the NFL in pass rushes, quarterback pressures. It's a very special thing when you have your top, your, your two defensive players be one and two in that category. It's, it, look, I mean, positions like wide receiver, cornerback, uh, pass rushing, whether it's defensive end or outside linebacker, depending what you play. If you have two players that play the same position on your team and they're in the top two in a certain statistic, that's pretty damn impressive. And I know I, I mentioned the Chiefs personnel last week, and I, I, I'll say it again. If you can have that dominance, you know D Ford was taken in the first round for a reason. He hasn't played a lot because he's behind two Pro Bowlers. I know Tom Bahali didn't hasn't played like a Pro Bowler lately. Last year, at least, wasn't the case. Justin Houston, yeah, he, I mean, he was coming back from an injury, still was a Pro Bowl alternate. Crazy enough, but you really do have an amazing group of pass rushers and. If Holly just rotates in occasionally to give D Ford a, a, a break for one or two downs, maybe even rotate with Houston. You never know how the Chiefs want to play that out. This is going to be a really good group of pass rushers, and I think that alone can really carry a team that carried the Chiefs to a nine to no start in twenty thirteen. Let's not forget about that. So I mean, if we're going to talk about that Chargers defense, anything to take away. Uh, look, I mean, they, they, they've got, I think, some good guys in the secondary there. I mean, you've got Jason Verrett again. I mentioned first-round draft pick from before. Dwight Lowry coming in from the Indianapolis Colts. Casey Howard, or Hayward, excuse me, uh, coming from the Green Bay Packers. So, I mean, they, they've done their best trying to recruit, recruit guys from other teams. But if Joey Bosa can continue to do his thing and if other players can step up in the front seven... It's going to make life easy for those defensive backs. And they're going to come away with more picks than they would normally expect. And I think that's one thing you definitely want to watch out for when you look at the LA Chargers defense in 2017. Let's switch teams and go to the Denver Broncos finishing third in the division last year. And I think it's crazy because you just won a Super Bowl with Gary Kubiak. You fire him. You bring in Vance Joseph, who was a great defensive mind. Mike McCoy goes back. To Denver after being fired by the Chargers. So there are I mean, there are a lot of interesting pieces, moving pieces for sure, on both sides of the football for the Denver Broncos. And again, coming off a Super Bowl win a couple of years ago, uh, primarily carried by that defense, kind of makes you wonder, what do the Broncos have to offer? Let's start with that defense, because they, it really is one of the best in the NFL. You've got the Super Bowl MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and almost winning it for two years in a row in Von Miller. And on the opposite side, you've got Kansas City native Shane Ray and also a former Missouri Tiger. These, th- This might be the best pass rushing duo in the NFL, and, and maybe Kansas City's pass rushing trio is right behind it. I mean, these are probably the best pass rushing groups in the NFL for sure. Brandon Marshall, one of the better inside linebackers in the NFL today for sure. Got a good defensive end, and Derek Wolf drafted Demarcus Walker in the second round this year. So it's going to be interesting to see. The Chiefs also drafted a defensive end and passing yo. So it's going to be interesting to see how the second round draft picks at defensive end for both the Chiefs and Broncos do. 
Uh, I think that'd be a, a fun comparison to keep track of as the season goes along. But then you have your secondary, and in, in my opinion, arguably the best in the NFL. You've got the two former Jayhawks, Aqib Talib, and a guy who was undrafted, then was underrated, and now is the number one cornerback in the NFL in Chris Harris. And don't forget about Bradley Roby, a guy who, again, kind of similar to D Ford's situation, he's playing behind two pro bowlers. So that's why he's a slot corner, but still gets a lot of playing time. It's easier for a backup cornerback to play more than it is for a backup outside linebacker, a backup pass rusher. So you see Bradley Roby a lot, and he's been a big, big impact player for the Broncos defense. TJ Ward, fantastic safety, one of the best in the NFL. Uh, and then you've got a guy like Brandon Langley drafted in the third round, maybe not going to have a big hand on this defense, may not get a lot of face time, but still, when you are surrounded by guys like Tlaib, Harris, Roby, Ward, how much can you really learn from those guys and be able to develop on just that alone I think coaching has a big hand in that I think when you have Emmett Thomas I think that certainly played a role in guys like Marcus Peters and Eric Berry being the best at their positions but when you have all this talent around you in the secondary I think that can also play a role in a guy's progression in the NFL so I'd be I'd be curious to see how Langley does just based on the fact that he's surrounded by these guys on a day-to-day basis And again, I mentioned I, I, I mentioned I give a lot of praise for the pass rushers, pass rushers, in the AFC West. But gosh, I can't certainly forget about the cornerbacks either. Uh, Chris Harris, Marcus Peters, Akeem Talib, certainly a great group of guys. I, I think Sean Smith, who of course a former Kansas City Chief now at the Raiders, arguably the most underrated cornerback in the NFL. It doesn't get the recognition he really deserves. Doesn't come up with those flashy statistics, but I think his height can really play uh, a, a big impact anytime he goes up one-on-one against a receiver. So there are a lot of great cornerbacks in this division as well, for sure. So uh, this is certainly a defense that has uh, a, a lot of damage they can do on offenses. And speaking of offenses, looking at the Broncos offense, there's certainly some competition between Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. And look, for, I think for a seventh-round draft pick, and I know I, I kind of said this about Tyler Bray and Pat Mahomes. I mean, look, it's give or take. Not every backup quarterback that was a seventh-round pick or undrafted can can do the job that Trevor Simeon did. And I thought, given what he, he, he had to work with, I thought he did a fairly solid job. And certainly, I think the Broncos are in a much better position today with Simeon and Lynch versus having... Brock Osweiler, who's now turned into a journeyman in the NFL, arguably the Texans regret that contract offer that they gave him. Offensive lineman, eh, not the prettiest. Uh, I know offensive linemen generally are not the most talked about guys, but look, everyone knows about Donald Stevenson if you're listening to this podcast because you're a Chiefs fan. Max Garcia, one of the light round picks. Same with Matt Paradis. This is not a very stout offensive line. So I don't have a lot of trust. If I'm Trevor Simeon, CJ Anderson, Jamal Charles. Because that's not a very reliable offensive line to play play behind. 
wide receivers, of course, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, two great wide receivers on this football team, and I, I think those are that those are two wide receivers. When you look at a one and two in the NFL across the board, uh, th- this might be one of the best in the NFL. Now, of course, I did mention a very familiar name in Jamal Charles. I think as Chiefs fans, look, it's just human nature. We're all going to want to see how does Jamal Charles handle himself. We can't dwell on the whole drama with how he was he was willing to take a pay cut to stay in Kansas City and might might have been a factor as to why John Dorsey got fired. But C.J. Anderson, a guy who's trying to certainly keep his spot as a starting running back in the NFL. And if Jamal Charles proves that he's got some fuel left in the tank, his speed is dangerous we've seen it so many times in the NFL certainly Oakland Raiders fans can't forget what he did Denver Broncos fans can't forget what he did look at the game in 2009 when Charles gashed through that defense for 256 yards yes I know it was 2009 eight seven eight years ago but Charles still has that speed speed doesn't go away that easy and he hasn't played a whole lot the last two years. So this is definitely going to be a test. I think the preseason is going to be a very important one for Jamal Charles because he wants to be able to come back strong and play for a couple of more years. He's certainly not ready to throw in the towel and, and call it quits. So uh, you, you'll look, I mean, given everything that he gave to Kansas City, he, he's 30 years old. So look, I know running backs, they don't have a long lifespan in the NFL, especially today, and given the fact that you have a, a pass-heavy league. But look, I, I'm never going to stop rooting for the guy. After all he did for this organization, uh, he never once wanted to leave when he could have easily asked to do that. Kind of reminds me of Mike Sweeney for the Kansas City Royals. All the bad years that he went through with the Royals, never once did he ever ask to be traded. I mean, he's he always wanted to be in Kansas City. So uh, the same thing goes for Jamal Charles. I, I just don't think that can ever be forgotten regardless of who he plays for. Now, if he has a 200-yard game against Kansas City, yeah, sure. I, I think maybe that can be forgotten about for just one day. But, uh, I mean, these players, sure, they make a lot of money. So we never feel bad if things don't go their their way, if, if they get cut suddenly. But, but the guy like Jamal Charles never got in trouble off the field and everything he gave to the Chiefs, whether it was the great years or the really bad years, he never wanted to leave Kansas City. And I think that's something you can definitely appreciate and want to wish him the best moving forward in his career. All right, final team I want to talk about. And of course, this is the team that I think a lot of people are curious to see, especially with Derek Carr coming back after that foot injury. This is an offense that is loaded with talent. They've got one of the best offensive linemen in the or one of the best offensive lines in the NFL right up there with the Dallas Cowboys. Donald Penn, Kalesio Semele, Rodney Hudson, Marshall Newhouse. I mean, this by the way, out of all the five starting linemen that they have. There's only one guy who was a draft pick of the Raiders, and I didn't I didn't even mention his name, and that's Gabe Jackson, who was taken in the third round in 2014. Newhouse came from the New York Giants, Hudson came from Kansas City, Assembly came from Baltimore, and Penn from Tampa Bay. This is an offensive line that has been built through free agency. 
And I think one of the things I really despise about Herm Edwards is that when he tried to build the Chiefs, he didn't focus so much on free agency. He tried to build the 22 starting positions through the draft. Listen, the draft is an important part of a team's building process. Every team rebuilds in certain parts, even the Patriots. Certain positions, they they try to rebuild that. Maybe they don't rebuild as a team, but gosh... I think one of the biggest reasons the Raiders are here today is because that offensive line has been built perfectly and you have to applaud everyone that's been a part of this that has worked together to form that strong offensive line. Listen, at the end of the day, I know what I said about the pass rush in football. They they have a big hand in games. We always talk about the quarterbacks and the receivers, but at the end of the day, it all starts with the offensive line. You win your battles at the line of scrimmage. And if you win the battle at the line of scrimmage. Nine times out of ten. You're going to win the game. Derek Carr has. the One of the best offensive lines. In the game. And no you're not going to have Latavius Murray. Who moved on to replace Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. But you do have Marshawn Lynch coming back to the NFL. After the trade with the Seattle Seahawks was made. And I haven't even mentioned the receivers yet. Amari Cooper, one of the best when it came to yardage. Michael Crabtree coming in just across the bay in San Francisco. Who revived his career, arguably saved his career with the Oakland Raiders. And one of the more dominant guys in the end zone last year in the NFL. And you've got a couple of pieces to work with. As well, Cordero Patterson, a former starter in the NFL with Minnesota. Seth Roberts, a guy who uh, they've been patient with, have given him a few chances, and he's going to have another opportunity to try to stay on this team. You've got a locked and loaded offense. I think wherever you look on this offensive line, or on this offense, excuse me, offensive line, quarterback, running back, tight end, receivers, there are pro bowlers all across this, this offense. I haven't even mentioned the tight ends. But Jared Cook, a very underrated tight end in my opinion, coming in from the Packers. Lee Smith also coming in from Buffalo. You've got a lot of good guys on this offense. I mean, a lot that Derek Carr has to work with. The big question mark is, can Derek Carr stay healthy? They brought in E.J. Manuel, a guy who who played for the Buffalo Bills. Connor Cook filled in late in the season after the Carr injury. So this is a this is a team that that's really relying on Derek Carr to to stay healthy. And if he can't stay healthy, if he can prove that he's passed that injury that he suffered in Week 16, then this offense is going to dominate, and they're going to have a big hand in trying to surpass the Chiefs defensively. Not a great defense. The Raiders were last in the NFL in sacks, and it's crazy to say because you have Khalil Mack, who won Defensive Player of the Year. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. This is a defense. That does not have a lot of a lot of stars, a lot of pro bowlers, for lack of a better term. But you've got Sean Smith and David Amerson, two good quarterbacks on this team. Amerson came in from the Redskins a couple of years ago, and Smith, of course, from Kansas City. Reggie Nelson, former Cincinnati Bengal, one of the best safeties in the NFL, I think. One of the underrated safeties, actually, I'll say. Carl Joseph, a first round draft pick last year. Certainly a serviceable safety. Going to try to do better this year for the for the Raiders. And 
Don't forget about Bruce Irvin, who was who came in from Seattle. Another guy from Seattle who the Raiders acquired to try to rebuild their team and return to the postseason for the first time since that loss to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. You've got a good defensive lineman in Mario Edwards, drafted in the second round of 2015. Also drafted Justin Ellis in 2014, part of this defensive line. Couple of draft picks, too. From this year's uh, class on the defensive line, Eddie Vanderdust and Trayvon Hester. So th- there's certainly some progress that's going to be made with that defensive line. But as long as you have Khalil Mack, that's a guy who you're going to be relying on quite a bit to try to carry this defense. And if Khalil Mack can get the job done going after quarterbacks, which he's never failed to do, your defensive backs are going to have an easier time. Playing against offenses. And I haven't talked so much about special teams with the other teams. I mean, the LA Chargers, uh, I mean, there's not a lot to say about Lambo and, and, and Drew Kaser. For the Broncos, uh, you've got a, a good kicker and Brandon McManus, who I, I know he's so famous because of the long field goal attempt he was forced to try to make against the Chiefs in that crazy overtime game last year. But I think the the Raiders have one of the best punters in the NFL and Marquette King. And Sebastian Janikowski, certainly not, not the kicker he once was, but still uh, on, on the football team, one of the best kickers in NFL history. I definitely think that Cairo Santos is the best kicker in the AFC West, for sure. He was a Pro Bowl alternate, didn't play in the Pro Bowl last year. But And by the way, Colquitt was also an alternate. But overall, I, I think when... You look at Marquette King and the, and the job he's done. Certainly one of the better punters in the NFL. So definitely worth mentioning if we're going to look at special teams for any of these three teams in the AFC West. Now I'm going to say this now, and I know it's not going to be a popular opinion, and I know it's not something that Chiefs fans listening to this podcast want to hear. But if I had to put down money right now as to who wins the AFC West, I'm going with the Oakland Raiders. I did not think Kansas City was going to win last year before the season started. In fact, my expect- my expectations were actually fairly low. I thought that it was going to be a bit, maybe a disappointing year and certainly exceeded my expectations for 2016. But man, I, I think we have to be honest with ourselves. The Raiders had more wins than the Chiefs going into Week 16. The Raiders were 11-3 and and the Chiefs... We're 11-4, going into week 17, I should say. So the Raiders were ahead of the Chiefs in weeks, going into week 16 and going into week 17. It took a Derek Carr injury, which translated into a blowout loss to the Broncos for the Raiders in week 17, and the Chiefs defeating the Chargers to win the AFC West for the Chiefs. Let's keep in mind, again, we got to be honest with ourselves. Why did the Chiefs win this division? Yes, the 6-0 sweeping the AFC West, that played a big role in it. Especially going 2-0 against the Raiders, a team that finished second in the division, and the same record as you. But that Derek Carr injury, if that doesn't happen, Oakland's winning the division, Oakland's getting the bye week, not Kansas City. Kansas City's going on to play again in Houston for the second year in a row in the postseason and for the second time in the 2016-17 season. Now, if I'm Kansas City, listen, I know I, I 
I know Chiefs fans don't like to hear that I'm predicting the Raiders will win the division. I just, I still think the Chiefs can collect double-digit wins, but I think they're going to finish as a wildcard team going into the postseason. Now, if there's anything that the Chiefs have going for them, it's the fact that they have 11 consecutive wins in the AFC West. 11. So in the 12 times that they have played the Broncos, Raiders, and Chargers the past two years, the 12 times, only lost once. And that one game was when Jamal Charles fumbled the football on that Thursday night game in week two of of the 2015 season. And listen, I know what Chiefs fans are going to say. Well, look, what if Jamal doesn't fumble the football? What if the Chiefs defense didn't allow the Broncos to tie the game on that late drive? Now, look, we, we, we could say that about a lot of things. What if the Chiefs didn't come back against the Broncos in last year's overtime thriller? Same with the Bronco, uh, the Chargers in that season opener. So, I mean, look, there are a lot of close calls where you could say woulda, coulda, shoulda, what if. But at the end of the day, uh, even with all the close games, the Chiefs have managed to win 11 straight games in the division. And... Every game is intense in the NFL. Every game is tough. But those division games are just even more intense. Because both teams know a lot is on the line. If if you're three games behind first place in, in a division, and if you beat the division leader, I, that can really change the complex of the AFC West. Because then, just like that, you're going to be within reach. And that can really change a team's outlook and also a fan base's outlook too so if I am a Kansas City Chiefs fan which of course I am and I'm sure a lot of you guys are as well listening if there's one thing you should feel optimistic about it's the fact that the Chiefs have won 11 in a row in the AFC West now I think it's going to get snapped this year I think you split with the Raiders for sure I think Kansas City can sweep San Diego, or not San Diego anymore, LA. I know that they looked awful in that first half when Keenan Allen just bulldozed that Chiefs defense, dominated Marcus Peters. But I think the Chiefs certainly have learned their mistake, and I think they can show that they're a much different football team when they go up against the Chargers, especially if Keenan Allen is healthy. I'd like to see the Chiefs face the Chargers with Keenan Allen there and preferably a a healthy Mike Williams because I want to see if the Chiefs can correct their errors from the last time they went up against Phillip Rivers and Keenan Allen because the Chargers won that game if you have the game with Keenan Allen the Chargers win that game week one so we'll never know exactly how that game would have panned out or how much of a lead the Chargers could have built with Keenan Allen before that torn ACL. So I'd like to see him remain healthy to see the Chiefs be able to prove that, hey, that was a fluke and we can certainly do much better than what we showed last year when they went up against us. Now, the Broncos are an interesting one because they're also under a new head coach, new guidance. A lot of the same players, though, that helped the team win the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. And... To go from winning a Super Bowl to finishing nine and seven, you finished above five hundred for two for, for the last two years. So it's not like 
this was a terrible team that had to fire their head coach. I think the standard is high, and this is a team that wants to be able to go back. Listen, losing four of your last six games after a 4-0 start to the season, certainly not a recipe for success in trying to get back to, get back to the postseason, especially for a reigning Super Bowl team. So if you're the Broncos, this is an area where you've got to prove that consistency can take place. And if you do that, listen, I think you could have three teams from this division make it into the playoffs with double-digit wins. I certainly think the Broncos are going to win at least 10 games going into the postseason. I think that's definitely within reach. The question is, which of these three teams can prove that they're really the best? Because look, Kansas City could win the division. Oakland could win the division. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter in the postseason. Sure, home field advantage is nice, but there's a reason why not all the teams that had a home game won. The Cowboys didn't win. The Chiefs didn't win. So at the end of the day, uh, the Packers lost to to the Falcons. Home field advantage doesn't mean everything. I think one of the best examples might have been 2007 when the Cowboys swept the Giants that year and then the Giants came back and stunned the Cowboys in the postseason. And of course also stunned the Patriots the same year in the Super Bowl. So, look, I I think the Raiders will win the division, but I think you're going to have two more teams right behind your tail. It's not going to be a a race that's going to be easy to win. This is whoever w- wins the division, they're going to lock it up in week 17. Just like how the Chiefs did last year. Just like how the Broncos did the year before. This division has been won in week 17 for the past 2 years and I think that's going to continue in 2017. The winner of this division is going to win it in the final week of the season. Let me know your thoughts on my AFC West breakdown. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian at Farzine21 on Twitter. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's start by going around the NFL. All right, this is very interesting coming out of the Washington Redskins camp. They offered Kirk Cousins the second most guaranteed money in NFL history. And the Redskins felt like they needed to make this public because they felt that they their fans deserved to know, which I, I can absolutely respect. I think it's great that they are doing that for their fans. Redskins fans haven't necessarily been known as the biggest or the best or the loudest in the NFL, but for, for the front office to do this and still let the Redskins know what's going on, certainly I, I, I like that. I know Kirk Cousins and his the people in his camp might not like it, but I, I think at the end of the day when fans are paying a lot of money for, for tickets and essentially your salary, uh, I, I think fans have a right to know what's going on. And at the end of the day, Kirk Cousins, if he is refusing and rejecting all that money, the second most guaranteed money for a quarterback in NFL history that tells me he wants to get out of Washington he wants to get out of there that badly who refuses that kind of money 
And again, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. This is not something that people just wake up, oh, millions of guaranteed money? I mean, look at me, a lot can happen. Injuries can play a role. Whatever the case is, as long as he doesn't get in trouble off the field, that money's guaranteed. And for him to just decline that, you can take care of your family for years, your kids, your grandkids, extended family members with that money. And for him to decline it, that tells me something's going on in Washington that doesn't make him want to be part of the team in the future. The unfortunate part for him is he can be tagged again. So whatever's going on with the Redskins and Kirk Cousins, it's not ending anytime soon. Oh boy, do we have some drama in Carolina. The Panthers following the Chiefs here firing General Manager Dave Gettleman came as a surprise to head coach Ron Rivera. Listen, the Broncos and the Panthers met in the Super Bowl two years ago. Less than two years ago. Less than that. And a year and a half later, the Broncos fire their head coach and the Panthers fire their general manager. What world do we live in now where in less than two years of winning a conference... Does a head coach on one team and a general manager on the other team get fired? And Ron Rivera told the media, look, I'm the wrong person to ask why. And what's going on here in the NFL? You got the John Dorsey situation. Now you got Dave Gettleman and so many former Panthers players. They're coming out, speaking publicly about this, letting it be known that they weren't happy with the job that Dave Gettleman was doing and how he treated players. I think this analogy can kind of go well. Look, people always say money doesn't bring happiness. Doesn't matter how much money you make, you're immu- that doesn't mean you're immune to bad things happening. Doesn't matter how much success you have in the NFL, doesn't mean that just because you made the uh, playoffs three of the last four years, in Kansas City's case, that John Dorsey's safe with his job. In the case of Dave Gettleman, I know last year was a a step back, but from making the Super Bowl still, gosh, it's shocking, but there's all this talk about, there's speculation about how the failure to extend contracts for veteran players like Thomas Davis and Greg Olson, that certainly played a role. Steve Smith had uh, apparently come public, D'Angelo Williams, uh, a couple other guys who have been let go. Uh, I mean, the Josh Norman situation. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of interesting angles on this. So uh, it, it's going to be a while before we really find out. But by the time training camp starts, the two the, the two teams that are going to be asked a lot about their general manager firings, the Chiefs and the Panthers. So I'd hate to be a coach or a player on either of those teams uh, when it comes to having to dealing with the media because everyone's going to want to know about that. So that's going to be one of the biggest discussion points from the media to the players in training camps for those two teams. Let's go out of bounds. Oh man, this is sad. I definitely did not want to talk about this on this 
podcast, but Chester Bennington, the lead singer for Lincoln Park, dead at 41. Uh, one of the bands I certainly grew up listening to, it, 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 it's weird because on Thursday in my car, you know, I, I always like to turn on my music, and I, I thought to myself, you know, what do I want to play? And I just was in that Lincoln Park mood, so I was playing some of their old albums on my way to work, and uh, yeah, I, I, I was just enjoying because I, you know, a lot of times with these older songs, you, you haven't heard them in a while, so maybe you forget how good they really are because it's been a while since you've listened to them. But man, turned it on and, and just really enjoyed listening on my way to work, and then I, I hear the news shortly before I leave for work. Uh, this is just one of the. Uh, sadder stories uh, you hear there are reports that it's a possible suicide nothing official yet again these are according to reports I've got, I've got to mention that but uh, this is just sad to see um, no one deserves this no one goes to go through go through with this I mentioned a moment ago you know money doesn't bring happiness all the time and there's no doubt that Bennington and, and people from this band made a lot of money I mean Lincoln Park's a very big band and if the reports of suicide are true I, who knows what what could have allowed him to to get to this point? Um, I was reading the article on CNN in Bennington. Uh, the article says that he opened up about his troubled life, uh, smoking, and dealing with divorced parents at a young age. Uh, that led to drug use. Uh, it's it's all. And he also uh, suffered sexual abuse as a child. I mean, this is stuff that no one deserves to go through. So. Uh, it's unfortunate to see that things came to an end like this for him. And again, assuming that those are true, but always gave great music and I'll always enjoy the music. Uh, I know a lot of people feel differently about a music. If a guy commits suicide or if someone has a different political standpoint, you know, people will stop or stop watching their movies, TV shows, or stop listening to their music. Uh, look, regardless what he did, it's never going to change how good the music was for Lincoln Park. So, definitely very sad to hear this. Uh, one of the better musicians out there, for sure, in Bennington. And definitely will be missed, uh, especially the work he made for Lincoln Park. One thing I do miss... The Super Nintendo. You guys know me. I, I mentioned before I'm a gamer. When I say I'm a gamer, when I enjoy playing games, I don't buy a lot of video games. I'll play on the weekends if if time allows with my busy work schedule. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I mean, I'll have a I'll have a night on a weekend where I'll just lay back, play video games, whatnot. But man, the Super Nintendo. I mean, that's what I grew up with. That was the very first video game system. When my family and I moved to the United States, we didn't have a lot of money, but my did my dad did get a Super Nintendo, uh, and that made him happy. That made me happy because you know I, I had something to play with at a young age, which was a lot of fun. I still remember all those games. Still have them too. The Super Nintendo is being re-released again, and they're doing this differently. They're bringing out you know now you have those RCA cables from the past, but now they're bringing it out with HDMI cables and. It's also going to be HD quality. And so many games that they're including in this pack. Some that I have never played and wanted to, like Final Fantasy 3. So I'm definitely going to be getting this when it comes up. There's one game they're missing, and it's Tetris Attack. I'm not a big Tetris fan, but gosh, that game is one of my favorites. Way better than the actual Tetris game. If any of you guys play this, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, This list also does include Super Mario RPG I'm telling you now, everyone's played a Mario game at one point, but 
the most underrated Mario game, certainly is Super Mario RPG. If you've played Final Fantasy, which I mentioned a moment ago, if you have played Final Fantasy, you will love Mario RPG because that is hands down one of the best games ever and easily the best Mario game ever invented by Nintendo. Alright, final segment of the show. Time to throw some penalty flags. Alright, NFL Shop recently released a graphic that showed all 50 states and the most most selling jerseys at every state. In the state of Kansas... Marshawn Lynch's jersey is supposedly the highest selling jersey. I've never even seen a Marshawn Lynch jersey, so I don't know. People are saying, well, when was this? Was this with the Seahawks or with the, now with the Raiders? Either way, I think it's bad because if it's up to date, that means people are buying a Raiders jersey in Kansas. If it's a year off, that means people in Kansas are buying a retired guy's jersey. So uh, he was retired at one point, of course, now back. But gosh, I mean, people in Kansas supposedly buy Marshawn Lynch's jersey more than anyone else's. Oh, by the way, in Missouri, which, you know, we've got, I mean, Kansas City, Kansas and Missouri, Chief stands on both sides of the state. In Missouri, the highest selling jersey is Tom Brady. Where are the Chiefs fans? I I, I mean, are Chiefs fans not into jerseys? I I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. So... Uh, look, I know they're expensive, but gosh, uh, don't be a bandwagoner. Come on. I thought Chiefs fans were known as one of the best in the NFL. I, I, I still think that, but to hear this, no, no. I I, I, I have a hard time buying it, but look, I, I believe it. I, I, I do. Uh, that's, that's hard to believe, though. I'll tell you what's hard to believe. The McGregor-Mayweather press conference i just thought it was the dumbest thing ever uh mcgregor look mcgregor's gonna do his thing he's not gonna stop uh came out with an fu suit uh i thought it was just a stripe a pinstripe suit but it turns out that those were lines that said fu on them uh good for connor uh just do your thing and you know, just the back and forth ridiculous banter that felt like a WWE promo with just rated R commentary, and I don't even know what to call this. I I was embarrassed as a as an MMA fan to see how that was gone about. Uh, Mayweather gets the DJ to play a Tupac song and starts calling Connor a stripper, throws dollar bills at him. Uh, Connor at one point rubbing Mayweather's head. No, the whole thing was just ridiculous. I thought it was forced. Look, and and maybe it's because I am an MMA fan, so I'm gonna I, I'm going to watch this fight regardless. I was already going to, I'm already planning on watching it before the two media tour. Maybe for some people they got pumped up and they're all ecstatic because they saw the the back and forth action. But to me, I was already tuned into it. If I was not an MMA fan, I would have thought this was stupid, and I, I probably would not have had any interest in, in wanting to check out the fight. Now, buying it, going to a sports bar, I can understand that. $99.95 if you want to watch it on HDTV. I'll be ordering it, uh, but gosh, uh, it is, you, you know what you're going to expect. Look, Mayweather's never been in a professional boxing match. He can box, he can box, 
But that, there's a difference between being able to box and being in a professional boxing match. All right, so the Royals blew a lead in the top of the ninth of Wednesday's game. They ended up winning in the bottom of the ninth still. When the Royals blew the lead in the top of the ninth, so many Royals fans were talking about selling players. Sell Mustakis, sell Hosmer, get as much as you can. And then everyone stopped talking once the Royals won in the bottom of the ninth. Look. I learned my lesson with the Royals. Don't speak too soon. You just never know with this team. It's weird. But get a grip. I mean, don't don't just jump to conclusions, especially when you're just a couple of games behind in the division. If the Royals were 10, 11 games behind, sure, okay, maybe I'll entertain the idea of selling, but they're not that far behind in the, in the division. And look, I said this when I broke down the AFC West and said that three teams could go in, doesn't matter what your record is in the postseason. Everyone's record is 0-0 in the postseason. So it's a brand new ball game in October. So don't get too fed up. Relax. Relax. Just relax. These are the same people who wanted Ned Yost fired in the seventh inning of the wildcard game against the Oakland A's. Those are the same people who were jumping the gun and talking about selling. Alright, this one's funny. It's not necessarily flag on the guy. It's it's more of a flag on OJ Simpson just because it feels like he was trolled. OJ Simpson had a hearing and the parole board member was wearing a Kansas City Chiefs tie. This might be one of the funnier things I've ever seen. OJ Simpson, a former football player, of course, one of the best at the running back position, has his hearing. And the parole board member has a Kansas City Chiefs tie. Oh, man. It's just better because it's a Kansas City Chiefs tie. I mean, it just gives you some sort of laugh. I mean, if it was if it was a Cleveland Browns tie, that would have been interesting. Uh, if it's a Patriots tie, I guess that, that just shows some bandwagon prowess. I don't know. Uh, but, man, the Chiefs tie. Good for that guy. Uh, supposedly, he's going to be on 610 Sports Radio Friday morning. So by the time you already hear this, that interview may have already happened. So uh, check it out if you if you if you want. But gosh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I don't even have a Chiefs tie. I've never I've never met a person, not even anyone who, from the Chiefs, with a Chiefs tie. I've seen red ties. People have worn red ties who work for the Chiefs, but I've never seen an actual Chiefs tie before. That's it for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Training camp coming up next week for the Kansas City Chiefs. I won't have a podcast next week before training camp. This is going to be the last podcast before. I'll actually be in Vegas next weekend. So the next time we will have a podcast, it'll be on the first weekend of August. So expect the podcast to come out on August the 6th, on Sunday, August the 6th. That is the next time a Chiefs Zone podcast will be out. So definitely a lot to talk about with training camp. Any headlines that come out, any news, notes, anything that develops in St. Joe, we'll talk about that. So going to be off, going to be in Vegas for the weekend to check out UFC 214 
from the fight capital. Not the event itself there, but I'll be there during the fight week. So definitely going to enjoy that. So all of you guys have a good next couple of weekends. I'll talk to you guys then. Be sure you interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzin Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. You guys can email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Always appreciate it when you guys can share it on social media. So let a friend know about it. Let a friend know about the Chiefstone Podcast. Until then, I'll talk to you guys in August. Take care.